So that mesmerizing aerial ballet is called a starling murmuration. Say murmuration. And, and what, what makes possible that uncanny coordination? It's amazing. Uh, when, when Pam and I were getting ready for our daughter's wedding several years ago, we knew that we would be dancing at the reception, and so we thought not to look really stupid, we would take dance lessons. And so Sunday afternoons, we would go and we'd, we'd take dance lessons. And, and I'm going to tell you, in our heads, we saw dancing with the stars. <laughs> in reality, it looked like a rugby scrum. We couldn't get the speed right. We couldn't go in the same direction. And, and we fought over who was going to take the lead because she didn't trust me. And, I would, and that whole submission thing, I, sh I should have played that for her before we started. <laughs> so what makes it so, so this, this, beautiful, this beautiful dance we've just seen takes place? And it's best described what they say, equations of critical transitions. And, and I'm going to simplify it. It simply is this, is I was headed this way. And then I've been influenced to go this way. That's it in its most simple, simplest form that, that I can understand. And, and, and what it leads me to is this, that for life, we were never made to go solo. In life, we were, we were made to be in families. We were made to be in tribes. We were made to be in community. We were made to be in flocks. Now, what's amazing about what you've just seen, and in fact, Jason, put that picture up, if you will. So, so there, there's a, there they are in the murmuration. These are starlings. And what is amazing about this is that the furthest bird on this side is directly connected to the furthest bird on this side. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And how, how does that happen? Because every starling is connected to each other. So at the individual level, this is how it works. And, and again, it's in its simplest form. Basically this, when a neighbor moves, you move. And what is amazing about that is this, that one bird's movement only affects the seven, they've proven this, the seven neighbors closest to it. And then those closest to it only affect the seven closest to them, and then they affect only the seven closest to them. And so what you've got there in that picture you've just seen is that you have this mass unison, only it's being participated in by multiple small groups of people connecting with each other. It is an amazing dance. And that is how that flock is able to look like that twisting, morphing beauty that you've seen. With, with groups seeming to go in one direction while others are going the other direction, while some are going at one speed and others are going at one speed, but yet it's this wonderful unison, all moving for the care and the protection of the flock. Because you see, what you don't know about that is many times those murmurations begin because there is a predator close. And then together, in mass, they begin to move. So that if there's a falcon moving in to attack, suddenly he, he sees this moving object and now moves back and, and will not attack. And involved in that at other times is a communication of where the best feeding grounds would be. I don't ask me how they communicate it, but they do. And even in that process, they will, in that murmuration, will find their mate. 
that is an amazing thing that our creator was so concerned about a bird that he had formulated a way that that bird could be protected, would find its feeding ground, and find its mate. If you think that's amazing, listen to this. Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? How many of you worried this week about something? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Let me say that again. Your heavenly Father knows all. How much? All your needs. So therefore do this. And read this, verse 33 with me. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So listen. All of us in this place have broken pieces in our lives. We're all dealing with it. We all have bad stuff. You may be here and, and you're saying, my, my marriage is fracturing. You may say, my, my daughter's being bullied at school. You might say, my daughter is the bully at school. You, you may say that, that my husband has just been diagnosed with the beginning onset of Alzheimer's. There's something going on in you, and, and the, creator, the creator says to you, I know it's bad, but I, I don't want you to worry because I'm going to give you everything you need to live right. But you got to have faith. You say, well, where do I get that? How do, how do I do that? And so this morning, again, trying to move us towards something very simplistic. And, 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 and please, I understand there's a whole lot of, of understanding that has to go into every situation, but if you'll grab a hold of this and just move into this with me today, I think you begin to see that the answers come where you place yourself. And so I want to encourage all of us this morning to move in and with God's seekers. You say, but wait, hey, 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 Reisner, I know this whole thing about church, and, and I've been to churches, and I've been hurt by churches, and I've seen hypocrisy in churches, I've seen the imperfect people in churches, they don't look anything like Jesus. In fact, they've not been God-seekers, they seem more like God-suckers, because they just, they just suck that, that out of me. And, and the problem with that for all of us is this, that when we hurt, we hide. If we were made to be connected then our pain is what really disconnects us. And so we take that broken stuff and we keep it to ourselves, and then we wonder why we can't get fixed. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you heard your doorbell and you went and answered the door and there was a guy standing there in a white coat and a stethoscope and he said, hey, I'm Dr. Fernandez and, and, and I'm just checking to see if you're okay. I can, do a, I can do a physical, I can do a colonoscopy if you like. 
Well, when's the last time that you were out mowing your yard and, and a guy pulled up in a truck and he said, hey, I just noticed, I'm a mechanic and I just noticed you got a PT Cruiser. You mind if I ch check your timing belt? I want to make sure you're doing okay. Say, no, 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 that doesn't happen because we have to go to the place where we're going to be fixed. And so Jesus, the creator, says, seek. Seek first. The word simply means to move to where the answer will be found, to go to the place that you will be fixed. Seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God. The base wording means find the base and the foundation of godly power and live in that dominion. Find it. Oh, where do I find that thing? See, some people think you find that if you go to, to a, a Benny Hinn meeting or, or to where there, there's a lot of miracles going on, and it'll surprise you where the foundation of God's power is. Jesus simply said this, where two or three gather in my name, I am there. Where two or three agree on touching any one thing, I'll hear that, I'll do that. So that when Jesus said, I want you to see my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, he said, so hang out together in a flock. Be together in community. It's described this way by Dr. Luke. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were devoted. See, we in America have created the church so that it has to have our approval when Jesus made it so that it would have our devotion. And that word devotion really means this. It means to adhere to. It means to glue to. It means to stick to. And in fact, the wording means this, that they attended every activity. That's the wording that they used. So when they got together every day to study, they were there. When they got together to pray, they were there. When they got together to worship, they were there. They would get together and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make music in their hearts to the Lord. They would speak in prophetic words to one another. They would discern what was going on. They would give prophetic words to each other. They would take care of each other so that they would have the same mission, the same passion, the same mercy, the same love. And what was amazing about that, you say, well, how did they do that when it got to three to 5,000 people? Because we read that happened pretty quick. Well, they didn't do all that with 5,000 people. They got together in homes, and in those small groups, like the starlings, they followed each other as they followed God, and somehow there was this communication that went out. Researchers say that those starlings we looked at a few minutes ago have almost a magnetic connection. That something happens that, that becomes very magnetic. And that when there's a transmission of a critical shift, when something's going to turn, when they're going to begin to go do something else, do a different movement, head a different direction, they said that there is a low noise event. A low noise event, according to scientists, means that there's very little degradation of the signal, that it comes through very clearly. 
One of the researchers said that the group responds as one and cannot be divided into independent subparts. There is no division within them. They just know. They know what's going on. They're communicating it as these seven watch these other seven who watch the other seven, and it just flows. The early church called that this. They called that following the leading of God's Holy Spirit. So that as they would gather together in their groups, as they would gather together and be taught about following Jesus, as they would be with each other on a constant basis and, and, and live life together, there was a constant signal of what the Spirit of God was telling them to do and how to move through those really tough moments. You say, well, they had to be really, really spiritual people. No. In fact, these people were broken people. Their families were shattered. They were losing their jobs. They were being beat up, and at times they were being drugged off, and people were throwing stones at them until they died for their faith. Their life was broken, but even in that brokenness, as they would gather together in this divine murmuration, they would find their healing. So we've been, we've been following a family in their crisis these last weeks. It's a story of a, of a, a, a woman, a, a really good woman, who finds a really good man, and they get married, and then they have two children, and both those children are born very sickly, very weak. If that's not enough, then a famine hits the land, and they don't have enough to eat. And so the, the husband makes a really poor decision. He says, we're going to leave the safety of our own land, and we're going to go over to this other land that's really uh, an anti-land to where they've been. It's an anti-culture. It it's really an enemy land, and it's, it really stands against everything they've learned for their faith and their values, but they go anyhow. And in that place, the father gets sick. He dies and the two boys die, and now this mom is left with no support, no inheritance, and two grieving daughters-in-law. And she turns to them and she says, look, I, I, just, I, just, I just know I need to go back. I'm going to go back to my tribe. I'm going to go back to my family, and you can stay with yours. One of them, one of the daughters-in-law says, well, that's fine. The other one says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Her name is Ruth, and Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I'm joining your flock. Nicole reminded us last week that as Naomi and Ruth made their way back to home, that Naomi was in really, really critical condition very bitter as to what she had just gone through. In fact, when she arrived, she had gone through so much that when she arrived, they said, could this be Naomi? And the question is this, you don't look like Naomi. You don't, you don't look like, you're a shell of the person we've seen before. Something horrible has happened to you. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. She said, call me bitter. Change my name to bitter. Now, what's amazing about this woman who is bitter, who can't get her life fixed, understands that something's got to happen so that I can get fixed. And so she says, I'm gonna, I, I, I don't know how I'll get better, but I know where I'll get better. And so she goes back to that place. There are those moments in our lives when we get all busted up. 
And our emotions get turned, and we even get angry. We get bitter. We get unforgiving. We can't believe what God's done. We can't believe what those people have done. We can't believe what the government has done. We can't, we, we just, we're just broken up. And what do you do? Well, we, we may not know how we'll get better, but according to what we're seeing this morning, there is a place where we can get better. And so we come to this place called the place where the God-seekers meet. And you say, but, but here's the problem. Those God-seekers are so imperfect. How many have ever gone to a church and got offended there? How many have done that? I've been offended. I even offend myself. <laughs> so, so there's this, how, how are we going to seek God? And here's the amazing thing about this. Somehow, God moves into this situation, because I'm going to tell you, you go through and look at the church from the very first century on and slice it open in any, any decade, any century you want, and you will find a place that has a lot of imperfection. Because we were trying to find that perfect church. It's not there because we're not perfect. And so we are supposed to put ourselves into that place, in with those God-seekers, and somehow God says, through those God-seekers, as they turn toward me, I'm going to show you where you need to be and how you can be healed. Through those imperfect people. Years ago when Pam and I pastored in Oregon, there was a guy in our church who just, I did not want to see. He just, he was, well, I call them joy suckers. They just... You see them, and they just drain you. They, they keep running, and you go, oh, I don't have enough emotional energy for this. Now, how many have had somebody like that in your life? Don't look at them. Just raise your hand. <laughs> it's so true. And I apologize in advance if I'm that person for you. I'm, just, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so there's this guy, and he would come, and it, just, it would just, and I go, oh, I don't need this. And it usually came after me after I had preached. And I'm just kind of drained. And, and now here he comes, and I go, oh, where's a really strong board member when I need one? And one day after, after I preached, he walked up, and he said, hey, pastor. I thought, oh, God, please help me. He said, I've been praying for you this week. I said, oh, yeah? And he said, I, I, think, I think God wants you to know something. And I thought, Whoa. I never even put him in a category of telling me anything that God had for me. I wasn't even sure he knew God. And he began to tell me something, and when he got done, I was, I was floored. It was the exact thing I needed at that moment. That God in his, in his grace and his mercy takes all of us in our imperfections, and somehow we help each other find God. I don't know how that happens, but it does. In fact, in fact, Paul the Apostle made it really clear to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was a mess. And here's what he said. Take a good look, friends, at who you are. You don't have it on your notes, so if you want to write down the reference, it's 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you were called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. How'd you like, like, like that? Hey, you guys, aren't, you guys are pretty dull. You're like one donut short of a dozen, I'm telling you. Not many influential, not many from high society families, and it isn't obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. 
that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living and a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have this saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God because you've got nothing. Another translation says, he called the weak to confound the strong. He, He took the foolish to confound the wise. And somehow he takes us in this divine murmuration, and as we travel with each other, somehow in our imperfect way of trying to find God, we help each other. And I know that it's time, it, it, we, we get impatient, we go into these gatherings of, of people who are God seekers, and we get hurt, we get offended, and we want to bail. But I'm going to tell you, unless you stick it out, unless you get in and stay in with the flock and allow God to use that process to reveal who you are and who they are, then you never get it. You never get in this murmuration. You never find the relationships. You never find the feeding that God has for you. And you find yourself even in an unprotected state. So we gather together, understanding that, that we've got to let it go of control sometimes and trust that God's going to take us through with this group. That somehow God, in his mercy, will show himself through imperfect people. And so we get together and we move toward God. We watch each other. We we teach each other. We stay with each other. We work through relationships when they break down. We dialogue about what we're going through and about God and about our issues. And eventually we even become a change agent for other people. Because we can't know everything or see everything that God has for us, and we need each other to do that. And so God says, Here, here's my people. Here's my family that get in, and they will help heal your family. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you and the Lord bless you, they called back. And Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? Looking at Ruth. So here's what, here's what I found that is true about moving in with the God-seekers, this, this divine murmuration. Number one, God will move us at the right time. I have found that when you, want, when you travel in with the, 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 the seekers of God, that there will be those moments that you will receive encouragement that you, that you really needed to know that you're okay. You can't do this alone. So there was one time that Pam and I were really trying to find God's direction for, for a job, and, and, and nothing was happening, and I was interviewing, and nothing was happening, and, and I, the timeline was on, and I was not going to have any money left, and we were, just, we were just really trying to figure this thing out, and we were in a gathering with the God-seekers. And there was this murmuration going on. People were moving us toward God. It was just an amazing thing. And a guy walked up to me, and he said, hey, I've been thinking about some stuff, and I feel, like, I feel like God maybe wants you to know this. And see, previously, 
I had said to God, I feel like a little boy lost in the woods, and I don't know where I am. And this guy says to me, God wants you to know that you feel like a little boy lost in the woods. Now he's got my attention. But he wants you to know that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, and that he's pleased with you, and he will move you where you need to go, so be at rest. Did that freak me out? But it encouraged me. And then there are those moments that, that, that not only will you get encouragement, but you will get confirmation of what you really sense. But you just need to know, it, yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. So while we're trying to find this, this, this job, and, and we had an offer of a place, and I just didn't want to do that thing because I didn't think I was built to do that thing, and I didn't want to go do that thing, and, and so I just let it go. And then, and then something happened. I thought, well, maybe I should check that out. And then I get a phone call from one of the God seekers that says, hey, I, I've been thinking about you, praying about you, and, and, and I, I know you had that, that offer. I'm thinking you should go back and check that out. And I did, and we ended up taking that job. What I want to say to you, that within this divine murmuration, this, this, this tribe, this village, this who we are, this flock, God will move us at the right time for Naomi and Ruth. They arrived just at the barley harvest, which the timing was perfect because in those weeks, they were able to gather enough that would, would be sufficient for the remainder of the year for them to live off of. The timing was perfect. God will move us at the right time. God will move us to the right person when we move in where he wants us. So for Ruth, it was Naomi's relative Boaz who happened to be a wealthy man and an upstanding man, well-respected. And, by the way, the only one legally and willing to take care of the poverty of these two women. And they just happened to run into him. God will not only move us at the right time to the right person, but he will also move us to the right place. You see, it was the law that when the fields were being harvested, that the workers would always leave some on the outer edges for those who were poor to come and pick up some so that they would not have to live in poverty or die of starvation. The owners were not always cooperative like that. They wanted all that they had. And it was also dangerous to go there and pick up those pieces because the workers sometimes would abuse the women who would show up to do that. And so Ruth is heading out and she says, Oh, Lord, in essence, put me in the right place and give me favor. He not only gave her favor, but he put her right at the land that Boaz owned. And not only was Boaz going to give her favor, but he was also going to admire her for his wording that we read earlier when he said, whose young woman is that? Literally means this. Where does this young woman fit in this community? He's about to find out because she's about to fit into his family. That's what happens when we move ourselves in to this, this divine murmuration into this, into this God-seeking community in its imperfection. Right people, right place, right time. But that's not all Jesus said. He said, in addition to that, I need you to seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. It simply means this. Live rightly or actually live out the character of God. Pastor Jerry Gifford says it perfectly. He says, be what you desire and attract what you desire. 
It's the old adage, you know it, birds of a feather flock together. See, what was true of Ruth was true of Boaz. There was this connection. It's God's ancient version of eHarmony. He said, yeah, this is the perfect match because you are so much like each other. You are attracted to each other because this is the character of who you both are. And simply, this is just a freebie for you that are not married. Be the person you want to marry because that's who you'll attract. So let me talk a little bit about this character, this thing called virtue, because it's really vitally important. One of the things we notice about Ruth immediately is this, her, her consideration. Being considerate attracts consideration. So Pam and I, Pam and I were, were um, over with a, a missions deal over in Italy several years ago, and, and then we're flying back by ourselves. And so we went to the airport in Rome, and I knew that, first of all, we needed rest. We were tired from, the, from all we had done, and it's about a 10, 11-hour flight, and and I have to preach when I get back, and so I need space. And if you've been on a 10 and 11-hour flight in a really small, confined seat where you, you barely can move, and I needed to spread out a little bit and study, so we would go to the desk and say, any chance we could get, get an exit row? And we were really nice about it and polite and say, oh, no, no, no. And they were nice to us, but we're back and forth being polite. And, and we would go back two or three times. And, and, and finally, they're getting ready to board. And Pam says, go ask one more time. I said, I don't want to go ask again. She said, just go ask. So I went up and I said, hey, you know, we're just, just wondering if, if there's a chance that we could get an exit row. And the lady looked at us and she said, you know, I've been watching you guys and you're just, you're delightful people. Well, obviously, they were looking at Pam. Because <laughs> this has never happened any other time other than this at this moment. So I'm telling you. I said, you guys are you're just, so, you're just really nice. She said, we don't have exit row. I said, okay. She said, but I do have two in business class. Would you mind? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she put us in business class. We were so pumped so hyper about business class that they actually came up and said, is this your honeymoon? <laughs> said, no, no, no. On our honeymoon, it was 90-degree weather in hot, humid Missouri in a 1964 Nova with the windows down. This is first class. No, this is a whole lot better than honeymoon, baby. I'm telling you. <laughs> consideration attracts consideration. And it's not, it's not a manipulative tool. I'm just going to be nice for this moment. It's who you are. So Naomi is there, and, and Ruth comes to her and says, and she didn't have to ask because the law says she can go out and, and, and do the, the gleaning. She can go do this. But instead, out of respect for Naomi, she comes in consideration and says, would you mind if I go? She says, oh, I'll go. We find in the stories, you read through this, three or four times where she comes out of incredible consideration to Naomi and said, I will do whatever you, you want me to do. How about this? Whatever would please you. She goes to the, to the place where she, by legal rights, can, can begin to glean. And instead, she goes to the foreman and says, would you mind? Could I do this? And he gives her permission. And Boaz, when he, when he finds her, recognizes her by what he sees, because he already knows the word is out about this foreigner who is so incredibly a person of virtue and character. It already has spread. 
So let me just say this to all of us today. There are those temptations, those times when we act out, and someone says, why are you that way? You say, it's just the way I am. I know people who are coarse. I know people who, who just, they just say, well, I'm just going to tell it like it is. It's just the way I am. Well, I just simply want to say, stop being that way. Just because, because if you want to be a person of different character, if you want to be a person who's more considerate, if you want to be a person who is kinder, if you want to be a person who's more polite, within this murmuration, find people that are that way, and when they move, you move, and let them shape you. Because whatever character you want, you can sit there and say, oh, Holy Spirit, change me. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Well, find people who have love, patience, goodness, self-control, and say, let me fly with you. Let me be shaped by you. So that as they move, you go, wow, how do you do that? And you find that you become that way. Otherwise, if you don't change, you're only going to attract people like you. And that's no party, I'm telling you. Something else we'll discover about Ruth is that honest goodness attracts opportunity. You know those people that, well, let me just back up and just say, you know that, that those things that you might do that you don't think other people see, oh, they see them. So Pam and I have a friend who is so stinking cheap that when we go to dinner, and, and, and he doesn't live in the city, don't try to figure out who it is, <laughs> that, that he's so selfish that when we're at a restaurant, he will not leave a tip. He's like, oh, they get paid anyhow. And I watched him do this. We'll put down a tip, a generous tip. He'll pick it up, take half for himself, and say, that's all they deserve. And keep my money. <laughs> we also have a friend who, whenever he goes through the city and he sees somebody who is homeless or poor, will stop and check on them to see what he can do to help them. Now, if I have a business and I'm hiring somebody, which one do you think I'm going to give the opportunity to? The one of virtue, the one of character, the one of, of honest goodness, because you can train a skill, but it's much more difficult to shape a character. And so Boaz looks at Ruth, and if you read the story, he sees her as a hard worker, a self-starter, grateful, not entitled, humble, and generous. And so he did something he'd never done for a stranger before. He pulled together his foreman, and he said, now look, this girl, Ruth, because here's the process. They would go through with a sieve and they would, they would cut down the grain and then the servant girls would come and they would bundle it up. They said, let her come with those girls, those servant girls. So as they're bundling up, she's right there to get the best. In fact, while she's, they're doing that, pull out extra stalks and leave them for Ruth. And then when it's time for you guys to take a meal break, you give her some of your food and when she needs something to drink, you give her water out of your jar. And don't let anybody touch her. Protect her. She went home that day with food that would last she and Naomi for weeks. And that never happens. Nobody ever gets that. But see, she was at the right place at the right time with the right person who sees her and gives her opportunity. That's how divine murmuration works. So what's so great about this that all of that's taking place Ruth doesn't understand that in this whole process, this murmuration with this, this new tribe, with, with this new flock, that her loneliness is about to be evicted by virtue. 
and Naomi, her broken family, is about to be healed. So can I bring us back to simplicity? How, how do we deal with the broken pieces in our world? Simply this, number one, get in a faith community and stay there. Stay there. <sighs> there are going to be problems. And the church is not made for your approval. It is not made for your entertainment. It's made for your devotion. Ask God to, gu God to guide you through these imperfect people because he will. I've been here for going up on 21 years, and I can tell you that we have walked through a lot of things, but it's amazing to me that as we stick together, what I learn and how I'm shaped by these people. And that takes time. So get to it. Number two, get with a small group and live there with the seven who, with, who affect the seven, who affect the seven, who affect the seven. So you don't go look for the big 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 attendee thing. No, no, look for those who will live life with you, who will shape you, who you can trust. Number three, be virtuous and influence there. Be the change that you want other, want other people to make. Be that and influence them. So, so just take a moment and look around. Just look at people. Look, look at them. If someone's sleeping, just nod them and tell them that we're looking. Okay, this is the flock. And we are in this divine murmuration. And as we're doing this, God is going to put you at the right place, at the right time, with the right people. He's going to shape you so that your consideration will attract consideration. He's going to make you into the person you need to be. He's going to give you opportunity so that as we all seek God together, we're going to find this divine ballet that will mesmerize the world around us and help us find a family that will protect us, that will help feed us. And in that place, we find relationships that last forever. So let me pray over you now. So Father, in this place today, in the imperfection that we are, we want to find the depths that you have for us. And so today, I pray that you will encourage us. And I pray over my friends here that this week, that as they follow each other and, and, and they move toward God together, that those who need to find an answer will find the answer. Those who need to be fixed will find the beginning of the fixing in their life. And those who you've been shaping will be able to speak a word of shaping, a word of, of encouragement, a word of strength. And that we will find that we are, we are moving. We're moving by the, the wonderful direction of your Holy Spirit that leaves others in amazement. May we find great joy in that now. We give you thanks in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.